0: This is the weekly Parsha Shior with Rabbi Chaim Bravender of Atir and WebYeshiva.org recorded live in Jerusalem at Beit Kimeset Haramban. Visit www.webyeshiva.org for live interactive online shiorim today. All right, the parish is called by Yishlach and it's the parish of Yaakov Dino. The parish of Yaakov Adinu. The particular issue that I would like to look at, with your permission, is um, the changing of Yaakov's name. Yaakov was called Yaakov from birth, and his name was changed into Yisrael. Into Yisrael, the parish of the Psukim that are relevant to us, begin in Paraglamid Hei, Pasuket. So let's look at the Psukim, and we'll look at Rashi as well, a little bit. the parasha begins This uh, business of brachot, you know, is a, a, a very uh, significant theme in uh, Sefer Bereshit. God gives a bracha, and the bracha is sometimes inherited by the children. Sometimes it's given again independently. Sometimes both are true. You inherit the bracha and you get the bracha. In this case, Vayar Elokim El Yaakov, Od, again, Od means again, V'od only Padan Aram, Padan Aram was where he had lived under the aegis of Lavan Ha'arami, Vayivarech optov. Now we know that he was Israel beforehand, right? You remember you had this fight with the angel representing Esav, and the angel said that um, that he's better called Israel. But here God um, Hashem. Formalizes it, and he says that your name is really Yisrael. And then he adds these words: Ka These are words that we know already. goi, nations, right? Abraham vino Yitzchak got that bracha. Now Yaakov gets that bracha. But this bracha, Melachim michalatsecha little was a little bit of a problem. What could, uh, what could be referred to? Melachim michalatsecha yeitseiu. We know, we know that, um, Shaul Hamelech was from the tribe of Binyamin. Right? But Binyamin, strangely enough, had not yet been born. So it could be that the Bracha related to the birth of Binyamin somehow. Rashi addresses this question and Rashi says, B'lachim, you see the Rashi on Yud Aleph um Shaul the Ishboshet. Shaul the Ishboshet. Ishboshet was the oldest son of, uh, of David Hamelech. Sha'yumi Shevet Binyamin. lo nolad. Uh, okay, so. What? Shaul the Ishboshet. What? Ishboshet, the son of Shaul. Right, I'm sorry, what did I say? I said that Shaul the Ishboshet. Shaul, and Ishboshet was his son. When Shaul died, uh, inappropriately, Ishboshet was, became the king of Israel for a short time. Shadayin no lo, lo nolad, Adayin lo nolad, uh, refers to Binyamin. So since Binyamin was not yet, uh, born, it makes sense to Rashi that this would be a bracha. That the bracha was that Binyamin, uh, that Binyamin would be born. Umrachemi medo yetse abichalat zecha is just a, a reference to Binyamin. It's not the bracha. It's not that the bracha is that Benjamin uh, that you will have children who will be kings. The, the bracha is that Benjamin will be born. Because that's the topic. We go back to the, to the psukim, Pesuk Yudbet. l'avraham And there's a separate bracha. Like it's true for Avram, for Yitzchak, and now for Yaakov. There are two brachot. One bracha has to do with, with uh, progeny, and the other bracha has to do with Eretz Yisrael. With Eretz Yisrael. And, and starting from Avraham Avinu, you know that there was great faith in the bracha of progeny, but not so much faith in the bracha of Eretz Yisrael. The Gemara and Rashi also says that Avraham that Avinu was the first one who asked the question, Well, what happens to Eretz Yisrael if my children are not worthy? Avram Avinu asked that question. In other words, Avram Avinu knew that if something bad happens and the people are punished, his children are punished, then uh, they would still be the children of Avram Avinu. They wouldn't be wiped out. That punishment did not occur to anybody. But if they were bad, they would lose Eretz Yisrael. That's what, that's what Avraham Avinu said. And so the Gemara relates this conversation as being a little bit more complicated. That, and that uh, uh Avinu said, what happens if the temple is destroyed? Then we don't have any kind of reference point with which to hold on to Eretz Yisrael. So HaKadosh Baruch says that still, Eretz Yisrael belonged to you, so what if we're sent into exile, and there's no Beit HaMikdash, and there's no Korbanot, and there's nothing that we do that connects us to Eretz Yisrael in, a, in a, a, a real way. So Kodesh Baruchel said, okay, it's okay when you daven, when you daven in the morning, in, before you start Psukei D'Zimra, daven a little bit about Korbanot. And if you daven a little bit about Korbanot, it'll be your claim. That will maintain your claim on Eretz Yisrael. Uh, what maintains your claim on Eretz Yisrael is that you are davening for Korbanot. You know that every, every uh, morning, in the Siddur, at least, you know, we all know that some people come a little late for davening, and they want to get up to the really important parts. So they skip the unimportant parts that are in the beginning, and uh, there's a parak of Mishnayot, Ezu Mekoman, starts with those words, and it's of course about Karbanot. It's Mishnayot in Menachot, but the question is still a question: How is that chapter chosen? What? It's Zvokhin. I'm sorry, it's in the same volume in my Shas, you know that's, So, why is that chapter chosen of Mishnayot? Because there's a lot of Prakim about Korbanot. Zrachim and uh, Menachot, etc. Kritut. Many. So, why was that parent chosen? So, if you go back and you take a look at all the Mishnayot, all the Mishnayot from Zraim Till the end of Taharot, there's only one perik in Shas in which <laughs> there is no machloket. One, it's like, it's like the Jewish thing, right? One person says one thing, somebody else says the opposite. It's like the most Jewish thing that there is. So there's one perik in Shas in which there's no machloket. And that's it. So that's what we say in the morning. Because we're really responding to Avraham Avinu's question. And the question was, what's going to happen after the Chorban Beit HaMikdash and we are exiled from Eretz Yisrael? The answer is, we'll learn the Mishnayim. That's the answer. Oh, I have to learn the Mishnayim. I have to pick. I can't learn all the Mishnayim every day. So I picked the one without the Mishnayim. The one without the Mishnayim. Okay, let's go back to our uh, problem. Vayi pasuk Yud Gimul vayal me'alav elokin b'makom asher di b'Imo v'yatzev Yaakov matzeiva pasuk Yudalad. Right? You see that pasuk Yudalad? What does it say? It says v'yatzev Yaakov matzeiva. Now, who wrote that pasuk? Who wrote that pasuk? The correct answer is I don't know. Who gave that pasuk to B'nai Yisrael through Moshe Rabbeinu? HaKodesh Bochum. So if HaKodesh says, in Pasuk Tet, your name is Yisrael, how come three P'sukim later, HaKodesh Bochum calls him Yaakov? And the continuation of this parasha is more Yaakov and more Yaakov and more Yaakov. Let's see. Pasuk K'af. Vayatzev Yaakov Matsevā when Rachel died, right, he made a, he made a, a, a signpost. A matseva. A matseva is a pile of stones, and he did it because he wanted to be able to come back to that place if he had to. So there seems to be a preference for Yaakov, but sometimes Yisrael appears. What would we imagine? We would imagine that if the Kodesh said that his name is Yisrael, that all the references to Yaakov and Hilu should be references to Yisrael. Okay, if you turn the page, we'll see how the Gemara deals with this question. Is it Gemara? You know, if we turn the page, and if I turn the page. Before we go to the Gemara, I want to remind you of two other psukim that are written on page 2 of this Kiborah, one pasuk is, Pergizayim pasuke, And we know, everybody knows, when Avram's name was changed to Avraham, it was with finality. It was like going to the Mishra to P'nim, and suffering for days and days until they agree that you could do something, having the greed, you're not going to give up. Right? If your name was changed from Avram to Avraham, it became Avraham. The second pasuk, the second pasuk is uh, Pasuk Tedvav. You see, Pasuk he is followed by Pasuk Tedvav. That's not how it really is. It's just that if you have a computer, you could do that. V'ayome Elokim el-Avraham. Abraham. why? Because it's same later. So, of course, what is what is God going to say to Abraham? Well, he's going to call him by his name. And his name is Abraham. What does he say? Sarai sarai Now, whatever that means, why the name was changed. Rashi, Rashi says something, right? Lotikareh shema sarai. You see, Rashi? mashma sarai li. Sarai. Belonging to me. My personal Authority. I mean, the word Sar or Sarah means uh, to have power or strength or authority. It's my for me. That she should be an authority for all. But it's true. What is true about both Abraham and Sarah that once their name had been changed, it was changed forever, and it was never. The, uh, I'm going to say something that is wrong, but you'll forgive me by when we finish the Gemara. That name, the old name was never used. Never used again. Abraham forever. Sarah forever. Yaakov forever. And Yisrael sometimes. Yaakov forever. And Yisrael sometimes, even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the photo, the as changed uh, Yaakov's name to Yisrael. So there's a Gemara. You see the Gemara? Uh, the Gemara, uh, it's printed here. There's a Mishnah. Adaf Yudbet bet. And you may remember this Mishnah from the Haggadah. But Believe it or not, the Mishnah was written before the Haggadah. Yes. And the Mishnah says, Maskirin, you said I'm sorry, I'm beloved. I'm a lozen Shana, velo I'm sorry, said am sorry, I'm beloved. ben Zoma, Sheneh, my lament is good, you'll say, i call you Mecha Yecha, Mecha Yecha Yamim, call you Mecha Yecha Ha Leylo, to Hachamim, I'm going <coughs> kol, why well, does the word kol there? All right, so we know that that's not really our topic, but that's the Mishnah. On this Mishnah, the Gemara has a comment to make. Tanya, right? There's a blita. It was not only Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim was a Galut, which ended. But there other Galuyot. And so, that's the What should we mention when we say Kriyat Shema? So, the answer is, the answer is a very important answer relating to memory. Relating to memory of things. There was Yitzhiat Mitzrayim, and then there was Gulah. There was Gulah, there, there was redemption. And all of B'nai Yisrael returned to Eretz Yisrael. All of them. Then there was Galut, again, the Assyrian exile, the Babylonian exile. Well, let's include the, the Roman exile. But it doesn't really matter. So when you remember, you say to yourself, what am I doing here? Uh, not here. Like if you're outside someplace else, outside of Eretz Israel and you say, what am I doing here? So what do you say? Well, they kicked me out of my home. And they sent me into exile. So, which kicking out do you think about? You think about the Romans kicking the Jews out of Eretz Yisrael. That's what you think about. Because they're the last ones to have done it. But the Gemara says no. Their exiles are cumulative. When you think back in the diaspora, and you think back about what am I doing here? You say... Well, there's the Roman exile. And before that, there was the Assyrian exile. And before that, there was the Egyptian exile. Because when you think about it, you feel that there is somehow a way, or there should be a way, to relate these exiles to each other. They're not independent. They're not cancelled out, like we were sent into exile. And then redeemed, the went to Israel. That doesn't mean that the Egyptian, that the Egyptian exile disappeared from history. It was sort of like lying there in wait for us, like a virus lying inside of our bodies. And as soon as we 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 relaxed a little too much, or oh, we became too self-approved, uh, uh, we liked ourselves too much, so it came up, it, it reared its ugly head again, and that's what the Gemara is saying. Look at the Gemara. It says, Le Chetirakei ma." So this is the idea that the Gemara comes up with. That somehow, of course, I think first about the most recent exile that I have suffered. But after I think about that, I remember that this happened to me before. It happened to me, and I didn't learn my lesson. It happened to me before that. I didn't learn my lesson. This is the way you think about things. So that that the exiles that the exile never, never uh, uh, leaves us. This, the Gemara says elsewhere, is also to the answer to the question of what happened to Hurban Bayi Jishon. You remember? You remember Churban Bayi Jishon? 586 BCE, the temple was destroyed. Right? Five, six, 586 BCE, said so the Kremit temple was destroyed. Uh... 70 C.E. The second temple was destroyed. So when I sit down on tish B'av to cry about the destruction of the temple, well, which temple am I thinking about? Uh, both of them. Why both of them? After all, well, the first destruction of the temple was canceled out by the rebuilding of the temple. Lecha Ora. Like, we rebuilt the temple, so the first uh, destruction of the temple is gone, disappeared. But the Gemara says, no, it's not gone. When we sit down on Tisha B'Av, what's the most appropriate text that we can read on that night? Is called Bigilat Echa. Right, like Bigilat Echa. We read Bigilat Echa on the night of, uh, the night of Tisha B'Av. Now, what is Migilat Echa, a description of, the destruction of, destruction of the first temple, right? So is the first temple. That doesn't bother us. So destruction of the first temple is fine. You know, because, because these destructions are cumulative somehow. They, they come together. That's what the Gemara says. The Gemara says that, that when this, a new destruction comes, it brings up the old destruction. There's nothing, uh, more reasonable than that. Now as a result of this statement of the Gemara, the Gemara says, Yitzhak Trium always exists. And they, it doesn't say it here, but it says it elsewhere, that the destruction of the temple, the Gemara asks like a tricky question, what did they do in between the destruction of the temple and the building of the temple? Well, they built a new temple. What did they do then? Okay, trick question. But when the temple, second temple was destroyed, We know what they did. They went into mourning over the destruction of both temples. Not one. History is never cancelled out. And whatever effect history has on the kind of uh, digital reproduction of your emotional self within you, whatever that is, it includes everything that happened to you in history, good and bad. That was the position, that was a position, at least in, in Chazal. So, having said that, the Gemara then goes on and says, uh, it brings up a few examples. If you look at the, uh, just a second, where is it? Oh, here it is. If you look in the second column, if you look in the second column, Tani, uh, no, Avram, who Avraham? Betchila nase Avram. It's the third line in the second column. The third line in the second column. Avram, who Avraham? Betchila nase Av la Aram. In that's what Avram means, a father of the Arameans, where he came from. Velevasov nase le Av lekol haolam kulo. So you see that that principle would not work. It wouldn't work because B includes A. A was that Avram was kind of the pivotal figure in one place in the world. And B is that Avram became the pivotal figure for the entire world. So because of that, because of that, it doesn't make any sense to remember that his name used to be Avram. It doesn't mean anything. Because memory memory doesn't work unless you can distinguish uh, uh, being the master of Aram and being the master of the whole world includes Aram. So that distinction is of no significance. And then Sarai. he Sarai. But shila naseit Sarai lomata. La sof the Sarai lakololam kulo. The same idea. This is quoted in Rashi. That Sarai had great, was of great significance in the place on which she came, and then she became of great significance worldwide. And since she was of great significance worldwide, so, uh, so didn't they to remember. Didn't they to remember. So you see there's a distinction here between the Chorban Beit HaMittash, or Yitziat Mitzrayim, and Yitziat Galuyot Acherot, and the idea of Abraham Changing his name, Avram to Avraham, and Sarai to Sarai. That's what the Gemara, that's how the Gemara explains it. And because of this, because of this, what is because of this? That B includes A, because that's what B, that's what the change was. The change was of cosmic dimension. Avraham became. The Lord of the world, somehow. He was the leader. He was the one who knew that there was one God. He was the one who spread that word. So that Tanibar Kapara called Hakarela Avraham Avram Ozeb Imagine that. Not only is the name Avraham the permanent name of the man, and the earlier name Avram is forgotten, but Bar Kapara says something that is clearly unimaginable to us, and that is that if you call, you're telling the story, and you say, instead of saying Abraham, you say Avram Overb essay. And over he tells you what the essay is. The essay is Chinamar Vayashimcha Avraham which according to Bar Kapara means that's what everybody has to call him. You have to call him Abraham, and if you call him Avram, then you're over. And an essay, uh, over <coughs> no as they say. It's even worse. It's worse. Over an essay means you didn't do something. Over a lot means that you're liable to punishment immediately. He said, "Velo over shimcha Avram." Elami Ata Sara Sarai Hakinami Hatam kuchabrihuamar La Avraham Sarai Ishtika Lotikarai Et Shima ki Pisara Shima. Sarai is not so problematic because Akaraj Bog when he changed Sarai's name to Sarah, he was talking to Avraham and he said, Avraham you call a Sarai, so if I call a Sarai, so I'm not over on the essay. There's no essay and log connected to Sarai. Sarai, Ki Sarai Shema Akareli Yaakov So the Gemara says, so God changed Yaakov's name to Yisrael. So how can we call him Yaakov? <laughs> <laughs> Shani Hatam, the Hadar Ahadre Krah. Shani Hatam, this is different. Shone Sham. Shani Hatam. Shone Sham, what is different? Uh, the Hadar Ahadre Krah. That the Pasuk itself reinstates his name. The Pasuk calls him. Ya'akov. Now we know a lot of Pasuk called them Yaakov. What Posuk is uh, are they talking about? Dihtiv, <speaking in Hebrew> Yaakov, Yisrael. Yaakov. Imagine such a Pasuk. Akkodish Vokul speaks to <in> Yisrael. <Hebrew> this is a real Pasuk. <speaking in Hebrew> this is not like a rabbit out of a hat. But the Pasuk says Va'yome Elokim Yisrael Yaakov. <laughs> so, so you see, where Harishbacher is saying to us is uh, that Judah is the is Yisrael, but his name is also is also Yaakov. So we have uh, uh, agreement, so to speak, we have agreement. Then there is a question in the Gemara. The question the Gemara says of uh, Yosef Vida, the fourth line from the end, quotes a prosok in Nechemia. is not a book that most of us know about right? I mean, there are other books of the Tanakh that we all know about Alpeh, but Nechemia, you don't know about so listen. When did Nechemia live? A lot later, right? A lot later than the Chumash. A lot later. Nehemiah was responsible for rebuilding the Beit HaMikdash. So, I mean, Ezra was there before Nehemia, but he couldn't quite do it. Nehemia was a big shot in the Persian court. He, according to the book of Nehemiah, he was the wine taster. Now, you know that the wine taster, <laughs> the wine taster, he didn't want to drink the poisoned wine. Right? You know, words, you think it's a good job to be the wine taster of the king. The king wants somebody to taste the wine so that if it's poisoned, the wine taster will die and the king will live. But if you think about it, you understand that the wine taster also doesn't want to die. So the wine taster is usually not just a wine taster, but he's like very, very well-connected. To all the people in the court and especially the people who might be interested in killing the king. Because what he wants to do, the wine taster, is stop them before they get the poison into the wine. So that uh, the wine taster has to be a man of great significance. So Nehemia, Nehemia also uh, Nehemia didn't want to taste the wine really because it was, it was all stanyenum. Right? It was also not to drink that wine. So he didn't want to drink it. So he wanted to guarantee without drinking it that uh, the wine was okay. The king had a great amount of respect for Nehemia and for his achievement and he agreed that Nehemia should be released from his position as wine taster to go to Eretz Yisrael and straighten things out. To help the Jews who were there build um, help the Jews build the temple and the wall around around Jerusalem uh, and when he left he came with a new um, edict from the king whose name was Artachshasta. don't use that for your children or grandchildren and it was similar to the um, to the charge that Koresh Cyrus, the king of Persia, originally gave to Sheish who came in Aliyah, the first Aliyah, Bel Shatzar, In other words, when you read the Book of Nehemiah, it sounds like there's Zerubavel, Ezra, Nehemiah. That's what it sounds like. And it may be that that was, that was the way it was. Ezra came to Eretz Yisrael about 80 years after Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel came to Eretz Yisrael around the year 536-537. You remember that Yirmiyahu an said that the exile would be 50 years in one place and 70 years in another place. So in fact what happened was it was 50 years. They started rebuilding the temple and made the Mizbech. That took them 20 years and they started sacrificing on the Mizbech in 516 BCE. And that was the Aliyah Zerub Havel. Like in modern times they call it the Aliyah Rishonah Aliyah Shniyah So the, the parallel is hard, to, is hard to avoid. The second Aliyah was the Aliyah of uh, Ezra. And then came Nehemiah, because Ezra apparently was not able to deal with the problems. Ezra was more of an ivory tower kind of person. You know, he was a Kohen, and he was a great scholar, and he was a great leader, but he wasn't so good at putting the stones down and, you know, in the, putting them in the right place. And Nehemiah came from Paras. He got a release from his job as the Mashkim. I say he got a release because after 12 years in Eretz Israel, Nehemiah went back to take up his old position because he felt, did you ever hear this line? He could do more for the Jewish people <laughs> in the diaspora. And so Chazal, it's also interesting, Chazal were angry at Nehemia. They said he shouldn't have left. Oh, they didn't say exactly why they were angry at him. It says that in the Gemara that they were angry at Nehemia, and uh, and uh, the probable cause is the fact that he left Eretz Yisrael. Not that he left the Jews in a lurch or anything. That was a different problem. But how could you live in Eretz Yisrael, build the Beit Hamikdash, build the walls around, and also leave? Uh, so that was that was the story of Nehemia. So now all of this story I told you because the Gemara quotes a passage in Nehemia. That the Chemiah was a serious person. And the Pesach says, Do you recognize the Pesach? Oh, you should recognize the Pesach. If you don't recognize the Pesach, then you're in the wrong place in the morning. So, so the Pesach says, Pesach How can the Chemiah call Avram Avinu Avram? I mean, we just got finished in saying that if you change, if you change back to Avram, you're either over on an essay, or you're over on a lot essay. Both bad. Lot essay is worse. Probably. But both are bad. So, but here's the same Hashem le'hatam, so, it's an exception. It's prophetic. He heard that he should use the name Avram. But for us, who are not prophets, and we don't get that kind of information from heaven, the original limit exists. And that limit is that you can't call Avram, Avinu Avram. you have to call him Avraham. That's what the Gemara says. So we're left with the question, as we're always left with the question. So why did HaKadosh Baruch give Yaakov another name? If the names are interchangeable, the names of Yaakov and Yisrael, and the name of Yisrael is kind of symbolic, it, it reminds me of an event in history that it doesn't really matter if I call him Yaakov, Yaakov, as in the pasuk in Membav, pasuk bat. Or I call him, by mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to make any difference. But if it doesn't make any difference, why did HaKadosh Baruch do it? So what I'd like to do, I think we have time, is learn on page 3, a passage from the Ein-Ayah. The Ein-Ayah, Ein ayah your Ein, Ein in this case is short for Ein-Yaakov. Ein-Yaakov is a book that collects all the non-halachic parts of Shaz, like a kind of uh, a reverse of the of the halachic uh, uh, composers, like the Riff and the rush. And, and then, you know, over the years, Perushim were added to the collection, and which is called Enyakov. When Rakuk became a rov, in, right? I know, maybe. Yeah, it doesn't strike me somehow. Anyway, when he was a very young rov, still in Europe, he started writing a commentary on Agadot. According, page after page after page, just like the Enyakov. And when he was in Europe, he um, he wrote a commentary on the Mas- first two Masechtot of Shas, Brachot and Shabbat. And to the best of my knowledge, he never continued this project. Brachot and Shabbat was all that he did, although who knows, there may be notebooks hanging around someplace that have all sorts of interesting things in it that we don't know about yet. So uh, recently, uh, the third generation of Talmidim, you know, the really Talmidim of Talmidim of Ratzvi his son, published the Ein Ayah in a very uh, attractive way. Three volumes: the text of the Gemara, the text of the Ein Ayah, with um, with references, references. And so this is, I think, a scanned. Uh, version of this part of the ayah, uh, right? As a you know, I don't think it exists. I don't know, but I don't think that it exists in your computer. You'd have to scan it as uh, as we did, scan it into uh, into a computer file. So this is what he says. You see the the beginning of it is black. That's the Gemara. So this is what Rav Kuk wants to explain. What could that possibly mean? A person has two names, but they're not like we do. Uh, it's not like that. This idea that that everybody who ever died at any time in the past should have somebody walking around with his name. That idea was not yet born in the time of of the of the Torah. And um, so everybody had one name. What, what do you mean to say that his name was Yaakov and his name was Yisrael and Yisrael was the more important name? And if Yisrael is the more important name, why is it called Yaakov all the time? Not all the time, but ninety percent of the time. If the name Yisrael is of such great significance, so Yisrael should win in every case. So this is what R' Cook says. Hadama <laughs> prati, What it means is that sometimes you see things. Um, in people. There are strange things that people do. Strange kinds of, uh, you know, like psychological, we call them psychological aberrations. People are sometimes funny. They don't seem to always work in a straight kind of way. He says those things that you see in people are really part of the nature of the world. A person who seems to be uh, a little different that person is reflecting the little difference that you, you don't notice in the world all the time. That's what Rav said. Uh, in every person, there is the, the ability, a koach is a, an ability to do good. And there's also the ability to do not so good, ra'im. Right? Imagine this. I don't know how many of you are into psychology, but it's definitely an interesting idea. He says, let's say, Let's say you would spend a lot of time, you know, you have some bad trait or some trait you'd like to get rid of. Like the Rabbin says in the Choteot, he says, Look, it's not good to be a spendthrift, it's not good to be to be too cheap, it's not good to be easily angered. You know, people get angry all the time, everything is very bad. So he says, he says The, 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 the Rav Cook says, Look, inside of you, a okay, good person gets angry easily. He says, Inside of you, you have enough. Co-op. You have enough strength to stop yourself from being angry, ever. You'll never get angry. You can do that. Yes, but if you do that, what you're, you're using up the power of goodness inside of you, and maybe you're not getting your money's worth. Because if you're so focused all the time on this bad trait that you have. And you have to use all of your energy in order to control that 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 bad trait. So it may be that that energy, which could be applied to other things in the world, other goodnesses that you might do, is being wasted a little bit. So that the the better thing to do would be able to find a balance, because uh, as educators might tell you, anger is not always a bad thing. Because anger anger is also a strong expression of your opinion, of what you think is good, and what you think should be false. So that's a good thing to do. That's a good thing sometimes with children. Anger explains to them that they that you really mean it. Where well, they didn't understand that you really meant it before. Because the issue may not be so clear to the children. Like, don't talk, don't say that about them. The children don't understand about Lashon Hara. They understand that it could be devastating. Right? They, they, haven't, they have no such experience. So it's important sometimes for you to make the point with great uh, fortitude. But you have to be very determined. So this is what says. Cook says. He says, he says uh, line five. If the bad in you is totally... Uh, uh, what? Suppressed. Ah, oh, good. That's a good psychological word, right? If The bad in you... I, well, I don't want to use those words, but okay. Suppressed. Suppressed. It's like it's a word. It's a word that, that in modern psychology describes what a person is doing. You know, it's like you're a bottle and there's a cork, and you just keep pushing the cork in further in, that's called suppression. So, he says, there, That energy would not be used for other good things. You know, they are spending all your time trying to remake yourself in an irrelevancy. Like, not a total irrelevancy, but what difference everybody gets angry sometimes? You made a decision, you're not get angry ever. But it may not be worth it. It may not be worth that. Uh, he says, So he says, Anger! I mean, hear them say anger. Like right? they're saying anger because I think it's the simplest example to bring. Because anger can sometimes produce good things. It can clarify your position. It can it can tell you it can tell others what you feel about that kind of you know, especially in the world today. The world today is very uh we live in a very open minded world, you know, like you can do whatever you want, as long as you're not killing the other person that you're doing it with. it's okay. So now in order to If, if you might think that's not so, so correct, because the Torah directs us sometimes in another way, so you have to make that point strongly. You can't just say, well, you know, it's not, doesn't go for the Torah. But you have to say, it's terrible, because it's against the Torah. So anger, anger is something that produces positive things. So that this can actually serve you badly, if you don't have, if you don't have anger at your disposal, your anger is one of the things in your artillery to use at the proper time. Then bad things are going to result. You're not going to be able to make the point that you want to that you want to make. Uh, okay, the Torah near Mas. Kiyetzay, Chila, Asu. What? Okay, I'm sorry. Chila isav. Sherut Chila. Shevatu say she like a anisim. Kol I'm sorry. Kolach gochot gas. Gas means the opposite of fine. Right? That's Esau. He, he's like represents all of that. nam He's talking about the birth of Yaakov and Esau. So it says like imagine that if Yaakov was holding on to Esau's foot, maybe he should have just schlepped him back into his mother's womb, and put him where he belonged. In second place. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He says, Yaakov, Loma ochezet That's what Yaakov did. left here He didn't think, he, he, he thought that Asav that had qualities that could be good and could be bad. But Shaloye Elchubelogvul, he says he wanted to make sure that understood that he wouldn't be able to do whatever he wanted to do and to live any way that he wanted to, to live. Shaloye Elchir sonobelogvul amnam. Tasha kochot raim yatsu la poal. da Bemasha kochot hatovim loyanihu otam laavo gvul. Kimaitahu. <laughs> so this is the problem. This is like the, the human uh, 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 desire. That the tov in us should dominate the ra in us. The tov in us should dominate over the Ra in others. And that was the relationship between Yaakov and Esau. Yaakov was the one who said to Esau, okay, you can be Esau, but there's a limit. We're not going to let you be too much Esau. And that's why when he was born, he was holding on to a cave Aesop because that that was going to stop him. That was stopping him from being as much Esau As he thought he could be. And so you know when Yaakov and Esau meet after Yaakov comes back to Eretz-Kinan, they're very friendly and they're very happy to meet each other and they're just dying to give each other gifts and stuff and then Esau rides away. Because Esau understood and this is a, a metaphor for us in the battle between Yaakov and um, and Siroshel Esav right was a physical battle. And the end was exactly the same as the birth. Right? It was hard for Yaakov. Yaakov had certain difficulties. But he won. It would seem. And since he won, since he won, he was able to make demands on Esav. Why he made those demands? Tell me your name, tell me who you are, that's a that's a, a separate consideration, but that's what that's what happened when Yaakov and Esav met. They did the birth over again. They made the birth relationship over again through the story between Saroshel Esav and and Yaakov Avinu. And then he says, "As they say, line fourteen, bechol adara." This kind of uh, working together, this kind of of being able to do something that you didn't think you were able to do. <speaking in Hebrew> that this was this is Israel. Israel fought to limit the damage that Asaf could do to limit his uh, expression, his personality expression. So that's Yisrael. Yisrael is uh, is making this limit. So he says that this always has to be applied. You always have to indicate a certain dominance of the good over the bad. Because otherwise when the bad makes its way, itself known to us, there's not going to be any way for us to keep it to keep it back. Uh, and that's why the Gemara says that Yaakov is secondary, because Yaakov just holds on; it just prevents the worst from happening a little bit. It holds on to the leg of Esau. but Israel is the one who makes the major, the major step. כלל העולם בשום אופן לבוא כי אם בהתחזק גם כן הכוחות החומריים ואפילו הפכותים שבהם ובואו על ידי אנשים שלו ושכילו לחוז בטוב ולשוף לשלמות האמיתית שוכן של ישראל צדקה ומשפט חסד בעולם. So that people have these inclinations to do bad. And that doesn't mean that Esau was doing bad all the time. You know, he was, he fooled Yitzchak. After all, you remember. So, I imagine that if he was able to fool Yitzchak, it wasn't that Yitzchak had become a fool. It was rather that Yitzchak was optimistic about his children. And so, ya- so, so Esau had uh, had this opportunity to fool him. Rav says, Bav Kuk says, that's who we are. We are Yaakov and Yisrael at the same time. We have to always apply the power of ya- Yaakov, which means... Uh, like risun. Uh, just be calm. Uh, uh, don't get too excited. But when things get really bad, then we have to apply the power of Yisrael to overcome. And so according to, according to Rav uh, 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 the Gemara is right. The Gemara is right that Yaakov of Vino had two names, Yisrael and Yaakov. And they were names of action. Do this. Make that happen. And therefore, you could call Yaakov Yaakov, and you could call him Yisrael as well. And these two names tell me something about the human endeavor. And the human endeavor is, on the one hand, to use all the kohot, all the powers that a Kodesh Bohu enabled us to have, powers that could be used for good, that could be used for bad, like anger. Anger could be good. And it could be bad. It could be terrible. So that Yaakov, unlike Avraham and Sarai, Avraham and Sarai, when their names were changed, it was as the Maral said. The Maral explained, at length, in Gloros Hashem, the Maral says that Avraham and Sarai, uh, the point of changing their name was to indicate that they were new people. You know, They were not connected to their past. They weren't connected to their parents, their grandparents, to the idolatry of the past. But they were, they were new people. And we understand why Avram Avinu... I mean, that was a, a, a something that Avram Avinu learned, that the child is born with his parents' past. As we talked about in the beginning today, about Yitziat Mitzrayim, that exile and another exile that recollection goes back as far as Jewish history goes back. How far does Jewish history go back? El-kei Abraham, Avraham, Ok Yitzchak, Ok Yaakov. Jewish history goes back to Avraham Avinu. How so? How so? Because Avraham was born standing with two feet before God. That's when he was born. Who was his father? No father. He didn't have a father. Because Terah had a son whose name was Avram. He didn't have a father. And Sarah also didn't have a father. So that the name change with Abraham and Sarah, the name change was to produce the perfect couple who would have a child that would not be limited by memory. He wouldn't have to remember where he came from. Because he could say in all honesty, I came from Abraham and from Sarah. And there is no previous generation. I mean, it's, I'm saying it in a homiletical way, but I think that that must be the way they felt. When it came to Yaakov, a B'ochu, who was teaching Yaakov about the human condition and what we could do to make the most of the talents and the difficulties that we have. That was Yaakov Avinu. So Yaakov Avinu was the one who was going to teach the Torah to his children. He created B'nai Yisrael. that right? Yaakov Avinu created that. All of his children. All of his children. The better ones. And the ones who had little problems along the way. All of his children were his children. Unlike Yishmael who was the son of Avram and Hadar. And unlike Esav, even Esav, even the twin, was a, not exactly the son of his father. Because to be the son of his father, he had to have this new idea that there was Yaakov and Yisrael. That you had responsibility to limit the misuse of human uh, of human characteristics, and you had the obligation to use human uh, characteristics, the things you inherit in your genes, in the best possible way, in the best possible way in this world. So that the name change of Yaakov and Yisrael is something different than the name change of Avraham and Sarah. Avram and Sarah were born when their names were changed. And that's why only Abraham and only Sarah could be the mother and the father of the new generation. And that's why we can it. And we can say okay, Abraham, okay,'." That's a starting point. It's not just an imaginary starting point; it's a real starting point. They were born without parents. Why not what? Why not why yeah. We didn't Elkei, Abraham, el-kei so We Did he didn't change his name? Yeah. Okay, next year, on the previous parasha, we'll talk about. We we'll finish with Yitzchak for this year, so that that Yaakov, Yaakov was the most, he, he, he's the most human uh, of the Avot. He's the one that's the easiest to uh, to sympathize with, because just like us, we've got problems. Everybody has. Uh, Yaakov also had problems. He had problems. In Aram, and he had problems with Ravan. He has problems with Canaan. has problems with, and they're all problems in the family. You ever hear that? Like problems in the family? The only people who have no problems in the family are people who don't have family. Everybody else has problems. Everybody, you know, so Yahweh Vito is, it's easy to sympathize with him. So look at the guy's working so hard. He was there, and nobody appreciated him coming here, and he meets up with a war. And, and it just goes on and on and on. You know, Yaakov's life is is difficult. It's difficult. Therefore, we sympathize with Yaakov. We don't sympathize with Yitzchak Because Yisrael was perfect. Right? Ola Mima, the Gemara said. That he was a, a pure sacrifice. He was willing. God said, sacrifice Yitzchak." He said, here I am. Let's go get sacrificed. I mean, he, he lived in a different world. Then most people, people tend to ask, as philosophers, of modern, modern philosophers say, how could anybody do that? How could anybody kill a son? How could a son allow himself to be killed? And we're talking about different kind of people. We talk about Yitzchak. But Yaakov, Yaakov is not like that. And yet, Yaakov had a responsibility because he was creating Am Yisrael. And Am Yisrael is distinguishable. And The Rabbub says, based on the Gemara, that that uh, that Abhisar, people Am go milay <laughs> chasadim. So the Rambam says that if a person I, I, I mentioned is a person like is very angry all the time, he's probably not Jewish, because the Rambam the Ramah says uh, if uh, he says a man if you meet a girl and she invites you to her family's house to you know to whatever. And you come into the house and they're all screaming and yelling and throwing the things at each other, you know, the brothers and the sisters and the mother and all. So the Rambam says, you have to be careful because they're probably not Jewish. Because Jews don't act that way. I don't want to argue with the Rambam statistically. <laughs> what I mean to say is only that the Rambam thought that, that uh, maybe this idea of Yaakov and Yisrael that was enunciated by Rav Kook Right, based on the Gemara that we saw in Brachot, that this idea, in fact, instructs us so completely that we do uh, suspect people who have extreme traits, you know, traits that are not easily translatable into, um, into good community action. Okay, have a good Shabbos.